HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. For more information, visit brooklynslate.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. With me, your host, as always, Erica Watts. So this this isn't <coughs> sorry this isn't exactly the end of the year, although the end of the year is coming up awfully fast. Just five more weeks to 2015, and that's it. Bye bye, 2015. Hello, election year. Oh, great. Are you feeling the burn? Or you may be hoping for Hill. I don't know. Or you maybe you're a secret Trump fan or Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or Deb. Deb with an exclamation point. Deb. No, you're not. You're not. Because you would never listen to a show like this if you were the type to like them. Them. I mean, I think or, you know, at least I hope. I hope you wouldn't like Deb. I don't think so. You're too smart. Now, as the year is winding down, and we have a few minutes this week, being a holiday week, to reflect, to assess, to look back, to look back, to have a moment of reflection and introspection, I want to report on a few of the stories from this past year that have been on my radar the last couple days things that have caught my eye that um i've been saving for this show the the kind of let's look back at the year show stuff that um caught my eye stuff that seems apropos apropos to the show like typical let's get real foodiness filled stories from around the globe that we think are worth discussing a wrap-up you know like barbara walters does every year and also, in this week of giving thanks, as we are doing this week, I think that we should also do some of that. 
some giving thanks. I think it's time. What we're going to give thanks to, uh, I'm not so sure. But I'll think of something before we run out of time today. I'll come up with something to be thankful for or grateful for. I know I will. Oh, wait a second. I know, actually. I know what to give thanks for. Let's give thanks this year for the stuff that we're happy to see fail. Yeah, that's Let's Get Real style. Things that have failed that made us happy. Let's be thankful for the stuff that's going away forever, hopefully. Now, I know that may seem like a little bit dark, cynical, but um, how long have you been listening to this show? That's who I am, people. I just can't help it. Now, I wish that that list of what's going away would include Trump and Rubio and Cruz and Carson and the rest of that clown car. But actually, I'm perversely sort of enjoying watching them outdo each other in their bellicosity and stupidity, like trying to outdo each other and who could be more extreme. It's actually really making me laugh. And I think they're all just blowing up. And it's really turning their party into the laughing stock of America. So um, maybe that's good. I mean, the longer they're all in the race together, the less chance any of them really have to win. Right. So it's okay. They're not failing yet. We'll celebrate that next November. But anyway, back to celebrating failure Ow, this year. Sorry, I hurt my back yesterday, so I'm just trying to get comfortable Ugh. in here. Okay. All right, so story number one about failure. Story number one. The first one, and really maybe the best one of them all, and the best one to lead us off today because it... um. It kind of perfectly symbolizes the scam of foodiness. It's like a perfect foodiness example. Now, even though when I use foodiness as a term, it tends to be very broad and it'll encompass like everything, all the junky, crappy flavored stuff, and then all the like true foodiness, which is like the junk with the health halo stuff and all the like faux healthy and all that. Like we've taken foodiness in its definition, a little bit far and wide. But when we get right down to it, it's all about, like, the bullshit of the healthy, right? The wolf in sheep's clothing, health halo, greenwashing, all of that. So what I want to celebrate first today is um, the, the dance, the victory dance that I'm doing on the grave of the demise of Organic Avenue. Yes, Organic Avenue is no more. Baruch Hashem. They've gone to live with the angels. They're with God now. Actually, they're probably more with the devil now. Not that I believe in any of that. But if there is a heaven and a hell, the founders of Organic Avenue are in hell. Even just for all the little bottles that they created. Anyway, so if you don't know who Organic Avenue was or is, or you never heard of them, or you haven't been listening to this show since episode 47, which was when I first talked about them, when I equated them with 7-Eleven, Organic Avenue is the raw 7-Eleven was the episode. I know, episode 47. Almost 100 episodes ago. This is like 140, I don't know, something. So that was a long time ago. Wow. Anyway, Organic Avenue was a chain of stores. Was a chain of stores here in New York City. They began on the Lower East Side on Stanton Street in, the early, in like 2002. And... They were a chain of stores that sold juice 
juice. Now, you know how I feel about juice. If you've listened to the show, you know my feelings on juice. And um, Organic Avenue began by that, selling cold-pressed organic juices. Little tiny plastic bottles. Actually, they were glass. Little tiny glass bottles of juice, like kale juice and those stupid-ass cleanse juices, like the cayenne and lemon juice and maple syrup cleanses, which serve no proven nutritional or medicinal purpose whatsoever. And, oh, yeah, we're also like $12 a bottle. $12 a bottle for a little bottle of water with some cayenne, lemon juice, maple syrup, and some kale slime in it. $12. More than many, many, many people make in an hour. Okay? Between 9 and 12 bucks for the range of juices for a little stupid plastic bottle of kale water. Organic Avenue. So they started out selling that. And they got their start, you know, selling that hocus pocus to the true believers. And then they branched out into food. Now, this is radio, so you can't see the quotes, but food is in quotes. Because if you ever popped into an Organic Avenue store, you would have seen how their definitions of food were a little uh, blurry. It was all raw, okay, raw food. Like, there's a place for some of that. It's fine. It was all vegan, of course. And, you know, all the vegans have suddenly all decamped to the bone broth team, so... So much for their vegan uh, philosophy. And it was made up of little containers filled with things that were labeled as foods, recognizable names of foods, but didn't really contain anything that looked like said labeled food, like lasagna, the thing that said lasagna, which was a few sad slabs of raw eggplant with some kind of like vegan cheesy crumbles over it, I mean, I don't have a dog, but I wouldn't feed that to my dog. I would care about my dog more than that. So they would put together these kind of random, like, raw and vegan ingredients and then label them as something familiar, like lasagna or, like, a brownie. But those things, lasagna, brownies, falafel, soup, those all actually have actual recognizable ingredients and a generally agreed upon format that we've all decided we can recognize as that thing. I say lasagna, a picture pops into your head. You have a pretty good idea of what's going to be in it. Now, you can't just call something lasagna or a brownie just to sell it to the size zero Xanax and SoulCycle addicts with eating disorders who visit your store. Okay, and that's who Organic Avenue was specifically marketing themselves to anorexics. I mean, let's face it, people with eating disorders. But in the way, in a way that made it seem as if they were like super healthy and super conscious and super careful consumers of what they ate and that that type of disordered eating was socially sanctioned by their community because their community said it was okay to have anorexia and eat raw, organic, vegan lasagna and kale juice because you were being healthy. And it all came in millions of tiny plastic boxes and packaging and bottles, and it was in these, like, open refrigerated store shelves, and they would sell it to you, and then you would get their orange tote bag, the orange tote bag with the logo on it. And the orange tote bag with the logo on it you would carry around proudly because you were a member of the Organic Avenue cult. You were in the club. You were conscious, and you were healthy. And it became the hottest 
status symbol, like since the Birkin bag hit the big time. Okay? If you don't know what the Birkin bag is, just look it up. So way back in episode 47, when Organic Avenue was just roaring along and taking over New York and opening stores everywhere, at some point they had like 20 stores. I did a show, as I said, called Organic Avenue is the Raw Food 7-Eleven because, first of all, their stores actually resemble 7-Eleven stores. They're all fluorescent lighting and harsh and open self-serve refrigerated shelving and even similar color schemes, the kind of yellow and, and green, no, orange and greeny kind of similar color schemes. And they were popping up everywhere, like the Insidious chain itself, 7-Eleven, at the same time. And secondly, because at the same time, like I was just saying, that the Organic Avenues were opening, the 7-Eleven fungus was creeping along through New York's rapidly gentrifying, formerly cool, interesting, and funky neighborhoods like Chelsea and the East Village. 7-Eleven was doing the same thing. It seemed like they were racing one for one. For each Organic Avenue selling lawnmower bag water and raw vegan cheese fries, there was a 7-Eleven opening selling 24-hour blue raspberry Oreo red velvet Slurpees and hot dogs with cheese injected inside them wrapped in a pizza-flavored burrito croissant. Same shit. Different marketing. Two extremes of the same spectrum, basically. The obsessive food-disordered starvation addicts and the obsessive food-disordered garbage addicts. Hello, America of the 21st century. This is why we have people like Donald Trump running for president. Now, as if the mere gall of Organic Avenue's existence wasn't enough to drive me nuts, selling $12 plastic bottles of water, they opened one in Chelsea right near my former apartment from years ago and right near the apartment of my co-creator of this show and former producer, Chris Nutter. Now, if there's an angry Chelsea resident to be found, it's Chris because he's lived there a long time and he's gay and Chelsea was a big time gay neighborhood and he feels like he's being squeezed out now by the families and the mommies and the tourists who throng through his block on their way to the High Line. If one day we wake up and the High Line has been detonated with dynamite, I have an idea of who will be responsible. Now, Chris has lived in Chelsea for years, and I had lived in Chelsea decades before for years, and it had been a very, like, rough, edgy neighborhood in the 80s and early 90s when I lived there, and then it became a rough, edgy gay neighborhood throughout the 90s and early 2000s when Chris moved there and continues to live there. And it was in the process of a rapid, seemingly wholesale turnover, literally overnight, of all the small, quirky, locally-owned businesses and an infusion of stroller-pushing, entitled-acting families and ATMs and nail salons and chain stores and banks just overtaking the neighborhood. Now, Organic Avenue, Chelsea location, replaced a beloved, beloved, very old neighborhood institution called Bright Food Shop. Bright Food Shop had been a luncheonette in the 50s. And I don't know how long they were in business from the 50s, but then they'd been shuttered sort of throughout the 70s, like many storefronts in those edgy neighborhoods that went downhill. But then it was revived and lovingly restored and preserved in the 80s into a sort of Mexican luncheonette diner, super cool place. And I ate many plates of huevos rancheros there over the years, and I loved Bright Food Shop. Now, Bright Food Shop's landlord smelled the money, though, and forced out Bright Food Shop couple years ago and of course the neighborhood protested and efforts were made to save them but no the beautiful tin ceiling chrome and stainless vintage interior were gutted 
The place was painted stark white. Fluorescent lights were put in. All traces of character, history, and presence erased. And in came Organic Avenue. And the size zero mommies in their Lululemon pants, sipping their little bottles of raked leaf juice. Organic Avenue was just one of many juice joints that have sprung up all over the place. Another beloved neighborhood spot. The magazine store on 6th Avenue and 11th Street in the West Village, right near where I used to live also, they lost their lease after like 30 years too. They were a beloved neighborhood spot. Lost their lease. Along came a juice place that lasted about four minutes. And now it's empty and there's nowhere to browse magazines anymore in Manhattan. Because effing juice is everywhere, and despite Organic Avenue's decline, it seems to be sticking. The juice won't go away. Does no one see the inherent problems with juice? I know I've talked about this before, but let alone the billions of tiny plastic bottles being manufactured and discarded. When you drink juice, you're not really getting anything from it, but maybe a dose of chlorophyll from the green ones, but with no fiber. And... A huge infusion of sugar if it's a fruit juice. Do we not get this? I mean, this is basic stuff. Hello? It's so obvious, and it's so simple. Yesterday, I was in line at Trader Joe's buying my usual bags of kale and bananas and my favorite goat yogurt. And a woman behind me pops out of the line. She's right behind me. Because the line to the register runs right alongside the refrigerated dairy case. And she grabs two little tiny bottles of what? Green juice green juice which they now sell at target and at trader joe's because it's gone totally mainstream it's filtered down and each of those little tiny bottles they looked about six ounces 4.99 a piece right which is trader joe's super discount price compared to organic avenues nine dollars a piece which is what they were there and i thought wow This morning on NPR, there was a story about how New York City's food pantries and shelters are struggling to meet the demand to feed all the hungry people in New York because cost of living is so out of control. And this dumb bitch just spent $10 on two little shots of leaf mold water. The mind reels. Can we please just stop the madness with the juice, please? We're going to take a little break. We'll be back shortly. Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hadica. After visiting Christy's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. We encourage you to visit brooklynslate.com for more. You can also get your own Brooklyn Slate care package by becoming a super fan member of Heritage Radio Network. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate for more. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Eric Wides, your host. That sounds like a really cool thing. Become a super fan, get a package, get some Brooklyn Slate. I like that stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Perhaps I'll do that. Anyway, so imagine, imagine my joy and happiness upon learning that Organic Avenue is being tossed onto the giant compost heap of nutritional trends. Yay! The entire chain has gone under. Way under. Completely under. Bankruptcy. 
we are out of business. Woo! Gone. Now, of course, it's way too late to resurrect Bright Food Shop. Long gone. Bright Food Shop has gone the way of the original Penn Station. Plowed down by thoughtless people. Or any of the smaller, small, independent businesses that fell in the steamrolling, the 7-Eleven-like steamrolling over New York City. But you know what? At least Organic Avenue is gone and dead. Chris and I once went in there to do like a little research mission for episode 47, and he claims he had a panic attack in there because it was so stark and so sterile. And a neighbor of his went in there once looking for some food, not knowing what it was, and she was so dumbfounded by the ridiculousness of it all, and she asked the guy working behind the cash register if he could afford to eat there, and he refused to answer the question. Okay. Now, they went out of business. They went bankrupt. They have huge debt. Apparently, they were never profitable. They owe hundreds of people thousands of dollars, including their employees and their suppliers, which is unfortunate, and I'm sorry for that. But the founders made millions of dollars off of the sale of the company to an investment company. How utterly American of them. That's the American dream right there. Living the dream, moving to the Hamptons, whooping it up, running a B&B. That's a, a cleanse B&B? So what do you do? You go there, you get a nice bed in a Victorian house, and then you shit all day? Like, what is that? A cleanse B&B. While all their employees and suppliers and everybody else are left holding the proverbial empty orange tote bag. They milked that juice for all they could get until the little bottle of unpasteurized fish tank algae water finally went bad, and then they collapsed. It's nice, right? Sounds very, like, I don't know, uh, mortgage crisis-y? Savings and loan? Mm, just saying. Now, one former partner was quoted in the New York Times article about their demise as saying, You can't build a business on what Gwyneth Paltrow says she likes. Which actually struck me as the first intelligent thing I, that I had agreed with about the company in their entire existence. No, you can't. Because after all, would you take advice from a woman who squats over boiling water to steam clean her uterus? Does she not realize her uterus is inside of her and the steam is not getting there? She has had children. Would you take advice from her? I wouldn't. Because I actually prefer my uterus to be a little grimy, actually. I think it's really good for your immune system that way. I keep mine that way. Now, there was this New York Times article, like I just said, all about Organic Avenue's tragic demise earlier this month. And at the end of the article, someone is quoted as saying that they think that juice cleanses now really may be over. The trend has passed. People are still drinking plenty of juice, but the whole cleanse idea may be over because everyone's now into drinking charcoal. Did you get that? Charcoal. Charcoal. Like what you put on your barbecue grill. Like what you give to people when they've ingested poison. Charcoal. Okay? Charcoal. Really, charcoal. And it had a link from the New York Times article to an article on a beauty blog. <clears throat> Suspicious radar going nuts over that one. A beauty blog called Into the Gloss. Sounds just about as good as Goop, Gwyneth's blog. About how the juice companies are now selling little plastic bottles of cucumber peel water but with added powdered activated charcoal. Because why? Because toxins. Toxins. Always with the toxins. Everybody's obsessed with the toxins. 
toxins. Drink liquid charcoal. It'll flush the toxins. Do hot yoga. It'll flush the toxins. Steam your vag. It'll flush the toxins. You know what else flushes toxins? Your liver. Uh huh. Your liver. That's what its job is. That's what it does. Unless, of course, you poison it daily with too much alcohol, which you know is really what those zero size Lululemon mommies are actually doing every night. They're drinking themselves to sleep as they see their fleeting, youthful asses drop and their hedge fund husband's eyes start to wander. Okay? I know it's a little bitchy, but it's true. So all of this, all of this about Organic Avenue, while making me insanely happy, also got me thinking about coal. Well, about charcoal, because apparently we're supposed to eat and drink charcoal now. But charcoal takes up a lot of natural resources and a lot of power to create and is very polluting. Charcoal is made from wood. Did you know that? Yes. Made from wood and trees. We can't afford to cut down any more trees to make charcoal. But coal, on the other hand, coal, because in the article, the guy is quoted as saying, everyone's now into eating coal and charcoal. So I found no evidence of people actually eating coal just charcoal but i started thinking coal coal's just sitting there it's just in the ground it's just waiting to be violently ripped from the ground or blown out of mountaintops or gored from the earth in the most destructive polluting ways but it's just there it's not like charcoal coal it's just sitting around for the taking it's been there forever right so think about it if these stupid bitches are willing to drink activated charcoal made from burnt wood why couldn't i get them to drink coal made from petrified dinosaur flesh huh i know i mean what's more paleo than that right seriously it's pre-paleo it's like neolithic as opposed to paleolithic it's as old as you can get you'd be eating something that existed before man before humans or at least i mean that's what my camp the evolutionary people say forget the creationists Now, what with the American coal industry rapidly collapsing, which it is, as we switch to cleaner energy, which is great, and all the coal miners down there in Appalachia all addicted now to cheap heroin and Vicodin because they have nothing to do because they're unemployed, living in rampant poverty in the hollers and hills down there in coal country. What with all that? And China now lying about how much coal they're burning in order to hide their emission stats, which we just found out they were doing. Mm -hmm. lying about it, minimizing their emissions stats, Mm -hmm. which has nothing to actually do with our coal consumption, except that the coal we do still mine could be sold to them because they're still using it. Isn't it time for America to do what's most American and eat our natural resources? I mean, come on, we're rich with coal. We already eat so much corn. And with the utter failure of ethanol, we'll be eating more of it forever. What about eating coal? Why the hell not? We eat wood. In all sorts of forms, we eat vanillin, which is artificial vanilla flavor. That comes from paper-making waste. And the fiber in a lot of fiber-added products also comes from wood pulp processing. You can't really eat gasoline, but lots of fake fats and margarines and creamers and stuff are made from petroleum byproducts. I mean, what do you think Cool Whip is? Now, if you could get them, them, you know, them, to eat red velvet flavor cookie dough ice cream iced coffee coffee creamer, or Organic Avenue's raw sunflower seed falafel and moss tea, then why not coal? It's kind of right there in the middle, right? It's so pure, too. 
I mean, it was made before anything was polluted, before there were any toxins. Those dinosaurs were, you know, either pure vegans or pure carnivores. Everything they ate was organic. They roamed the perfectly pristine earth, and then they died. They got pressed below billions of pounds of, you know, earth and shale and water for millions of years. What is more pure than eating coal? It's just made from old dinosaurs, right? It doesn't get better than that. So why get people to eat more real food when I bet you could create a marketing campaign to get the skinny bitch fashion crowd influencers, you know them, the dumbassers who read blogs like Goop and Into the Gloss, to eat coal. If you spun it just right, talk about how ancient it is, how full of minerals, how, like I just said, it's so old, so pre-human, so pre-industry, it's perfectly pure and uncontaminated, how it's nature's perfect food and nature's perfect cleanse. Those stupid mommies would eat that shit up. I'm totally going to do it. Does anybody know Gwyneth Paltrow's email? All right, we're going to take another quick break. Now we're back. Keto. Was quick welcome back to let's get real cooking show about finding preparing eating food that sounded a little burt bacharacky to me yeah jack says yes i love burt bacharack okay now since today we are celebrating the great fails and demises in a perverse way of 2015 let's take some time now let's turn away from organic avenue we're all happy about that away from making people eat coal, which I think is a completely viable business opportunity. And if anybody would like to partner with me, just let me know. Erica at letsgetrealshow.com. Let's take some time now to discuss Jared. Oh, Jared. Yes, formerly fat Jared. You know who Jared is. Jared from Subway. Jared who whittled himself down to the newer, trimmer version by eating shitty Subway sandwiches for a year only subway for a year lost whatever 100 pounds and then became subway's extremely well-paid pitch man and became a famous celebrity and started a children's charity and then well you know the rest the icky sordid horrible arrest the fbi case the house raid the arrest the prison sentence and now also the details about how he used money funneled through his children's charity to fund his addiction. Helped along by the CEO of the charity. It's all so gross and so distasteful. But maybe, maybe Jared, really, maybe he can't be blamed. Because maybe his brain had been poisoned by eating all of that Subway. Remember the Twinkies defense? Are you old enough to remember that? Let's revisit that. Maybe that's what turned Jared into a child porn addicted pedophile. All the industrially processed bread and cold cuts and canned black olives that he was eating at Subway. Think about it. The Twinkie defense is something that was used in the trial against Dan White. Now, Dan White was a former police officer in San Francisco who murdered Harvey Milk, the very famous gay rights activist, and George Moscone, the mayor of San Francisco in 1978 shot them both dead now the twinkie defense was used by dan white's lawyer to show that he was actually very depressed 
and that the depression caused him to commit the murders. And he was depressed, and he had changed his normally very healthy diet and fitness regimen to one of soda and junk food because he was depressed. Or maybe, I don't know, if he switched to it and then he became depressed. I don't know. But that the depression led him to kill Harvey Milk and Dan Moscone. George Mus, sorry, George Moscone. Now here's the Wikipedia entry about it. <clears throat> the Twinkie defense is not an actual legal term, but a catch-all term coined by reporters during their coverage of the trial of defendant Dan White for the murders of San Francisco City Supervisor Harvey Milk and Mayor George Moscone. White's defense was that he suffered diminished capacity as a result of his depression. His change in diet from healthy food to Twinkies and other sugary food was said to be a symptom of depression. Contrary to common belief, White's attorneys did not argue that the Twinkies were the cause of White's actions, but that their consumption was symptomatic of his underlying depression. White was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. So, maybe Jared can use the subway defense. The footlong defense, perhaps. Subway's food is basically as crappy as a Twinkie. Maybe it poisoned his brain. I mean, I'm not defending Jared. I'm not a Jared apologist. What he did is inexcusable and disgusting, and he should go to jail for life for it. And he should be prosecuted just for voluntarily eating all that Subway in the first place, because to me, that's an even worse crime that fits a life sentence. Do the crime. You got to pay the time. That's how we roll here in 21st century America. Unless, of course, you're a corporation, that is. Now, unfortunately, I don't think this ugly affair has really damaged Subway very much, if at all. I mean, they're still around. They're still selling their foamy, nasty, 44-ingredient chemical bread and the disgusting processed meat and the green peppers and canned black olives and shredded iceberg lettuce. Green peppers and canned black olives and iceberg lettuce are in some way even worse to me than the processed meat and bread because they give people the illusion of eating vegetables. Oh, Subway serves fresh vegetables, fresh as much as I want, as much as I want to pile on my 900-calorie teriyaki chicken with 40 grams of sugar in the sauce on foamy white bread. But I'm eating vegetables, so it's fine. I bet that's just what Jared told himself as he huddled alone at home in the dark with his laptop open to God knows what, downing his footlongs and dreaming of a 34-inch waistband. Like the size zero mommies and their dinosaur dust juice. It's all just the fake out of foodiness, alive and well and living in modern America. So let's be glad this Thanksgiving. Let's be thankful. Let's be grateful to see some of it fail and fall. And let's be happy that things seem to actually be changing somewhat in the world of food. And maybe we're seeing a shift for the better. And let's also have ourselves a good Thanksgiving and eat some real food and get yourself nice and fat. Drink some good wine. You can recover next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.